Welcome to the J3 University Podcast. Each week, we bridge the gap between science and in-the-trench experience for physique enhancement. I'm your host, John Jewett. Let class begin. Welcome, everyone. We are on the Coach's Corner. We have questions, and some will be kind of female-specific, but it's definitely going to be generalized as well to, to males and have carryover, but have Corey Hagman and also Joseph Percher, our J3U coaches. Corey, you go first. How's it going? <laughs> it is going well. I am uh, finishing my first semester of clinical rotations in nursing school, and I am still here um still able to hit the gym although this month i i was gonna say before we hopped on um i think i i think i've had like 25 days where i've been sick this month which is absurd like i just i don't even remember what it's like i'm gonna be so weak when i get back like um it's just the the whatever's going around i mean like the nose throat head and i'm like hey i gotta just whenever I start to feel better, that's, uh, that's when I'll, I'll get back in the swing of things. But physique wise, like I still feel like I'm in a decent place considering training has been that irregular, um, which is always mentally hard, but outside of that, I mean, can't complain. Does that like take a hit on your like workflow too? So I, I just work so slow when I'm, when I'm sick. Oh, I'm so yes. The, the cognitively I'm very, um, very debilitated when I'm sick. And, um, I think, I think with school too, that makes it tough, but it's that lingering sickness where I'll, I'll feel, feel better. Have one day I'll feel better and I'll go out, I'll do like a walk outside. So not even something intense and then I'll feel like shit the next day. And I'm like, well, okay. That was a mistake. Um, (laughs) we, we were just talking about this with Joseph because Joseph's been sick and, we're talking about the uh, the the deload. Like, hey, I'm sick. I'm just. I'll, it'll be a deload. All good. It's convenient, right? <laughs> so, jo- yeah, Joseph, you're like kind of feeling better, but now we don't know. It didn't work out like that. It didn't work out the way that I hoped. I kind of thought I would get like the two for the price of one. Like, hey, I'm kind of sick. I'm kind of backing away from everything. I'll just count this as a deload and then just come back right into it week one. And then here I am week two and I'm all congested and uh, somewhat sick again. And we were were talking before, it seems like half of my clients, it feels like have reported that they're sick this week. And I'm, I'm blaming all of them for putting it into my brain and now I'm sick, but um, (laughs) yeah, otherwise everything's been good Um, at the kind of the last push of uh, off season, trying to, trying to slap on as much muscle as we can here before we pull down for, like a pre-prep maintenance phase, and then I'll start prep for North Americans for next year. So um, in years past, and like as a younger athlete, I've definitely taken situations like this much, like my mental health has taken like a pretty sharp decline. If I needed to be away from the gym, it just feels like it all unravels when everything isn't on the money. But um, I guess helping as many people and talking people through like, Hey, you know, this is just one, one little phase. Like, you know, we got to see the big picture here. It's okay. Like I need you to get well and, and come back to the gym at a hundred percent. So you say that to enough people, you have to, you have no choice, but to start taking your own advice. So that's where I'm at. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. It's uh, I'd say like, as I've gone through more and more, like I was, 
used to be so hellbent on like uh, you don't miss the gym like no matter what now it's like we're like situational like I I could take a day off and I'm gonna be okay in the offseason big picture you hit like every single day and that sounds like really soft now we're just talking about that Joseph like how everyone like is a little softer these days but uh but you, you realize as you get more advanced, like what matters and where it, right. it won't matter as much. Like when you have that day off and for probably like all of us, like we will train and drive ourselves into the ground, which is probably more of the problem. Uh, and having the extra day off is probably just a saving, saving grace at that point. It's not like taking days off all the time. So um, I, uh, that's why I look forward to like, deloads i just take days off like that is my yeah more of my deload now um train like three days and i'm i'm so looking forward to the off days by that time and then you get to the end of a string of like three or four dedicated rest days and then you're like man i can't wait to get back to the gym so you know you did it right when that's the case yeah yeah no i, I just started up a new new block myself so um put in a bit more like leg work too, which I think like, I, I know you're like, yeah, why'd you do that? <laughs> I'm like, why would you not do that? <laughs> you know, like uh, everything, like everybody's been like improving well. Um, mm-hmm. Just haven't seen as much as what I want for my legs and thinking about adding on a lot of tissue for doing an open show. It's yeah. like, I, I just want to be able to capitalize on, on the most mass that I could add. So I feel like, with past injuries in my legs, like I also want to make sure um, I don't I don't have any any gaps that are present just from over time of being lower in volume. So, did yeah. it did it come at the cost of having to dial anything else back, or just recovery capacity being like kind of peak off season? You're just able to to do that. Yeah. So i i had I had two pull days, and so I moved. Uh, some into that one of those pull sessions and pulled off a little bit of back work so in that session i put in an rdl and a a rear foot elevated split squat so it is pretty erector and glute heavy which kind of fits like needs of what i want i just want big glutes and erectors (laughs) (laughs) but uh and then it like gives me a little bit more quad work in that day. Um, fits well with just like, yeah, it's an overall kind of back stimulus, but I still have like plenty of back work that takes place. And that day, that day is still manageable. So, um, but yeah, at the recovery point I'm at, like I can handle doing some bigger systemic lifts and it's, it's not that, that, that detrimental. So. I shifted nice. some of the accessory work to like my push days, which are shorter. So like mm. rear delts got moved to push days and um, so manage it that way. Nice. Looking forward to seeing those tree trunks up there in the open next year. Yeah. <laughs> well, cool. Let's, uh, let's dive into some questions and who to kick it off. I think it's fitting for Corey to kick it off. Of I know we're so, we're so polite. Proper you, don't about, you don't want to talk about waist trainers? <laughs> I that was you wanted to take. Oh, I'll talk uh, about them. I feel like between the three of us, we've kind of 
covered that pretty heavily on our um, Instagram. So that would be like a real quick one. Um, <laughs> uh, globally, no, that's not something that uh, we are a fan of in the sense that it is not going to have the effect that clients tend to think it's going to have. So um, oftentimes it's marketed, hey, a waist trainer will shrink your waist. And in reality, it's really more of a compression device, even if we're talking about something on the more extreme side, like a corset, but we know in the market today, most of them are more just like sweat pads. They're just just compression just to create some, some actual heat. Um, so if you're using something like that, and this, I got to, I get these questions all the time about waist training. Um, if you're using one, um, just have very realistic expectations for what it will do. It will not shrink your waist. If you're wearing one of those squeams, like the, the, what are they? Nylon wraps? Um, you're, you're just creating heat and that's fine. If that's what you expect it to do. Um, if you're wearing corset, honestly, you, I've, I've worn them. I've given it a fair shot. I did not achieve a smaller waist when I was actually wearing a waist trainer. Um, this past season, I did not wear a waist trainer and I was able to bring my waist in actually an additional three, um, three quarters inches down. Um, and that was from another year of practicing vacuum. So I was just going to ask you, what did, what was the secret that it had to be vacuums, right? Vacuums. vacuums. And, and, you know, something to mention there is to even vacuums, it's not going to change your structure. It is still something that is going to help, um, with how you're able to control your abdomen. So naturally, if you have a very small waist, yes, you can, in a way, bring it down, um, but it's not, vacuums are not um, magical outside of it will help you control your waist. Um, but I, I try to be super, just super clear with that because I know people, they, they're they looking for that secret. And if you don't have a naturally small waist or if that's something that you've gotten specific feedback on, um, you want to improve. And I, I, I think it's important to just be very, very honest about what um, can be done with waist training or with vacuums. Um, but my recommendation for sure, do vacuums. You're not going to be worse for it. And on stage, I'm sorry, there's not a lot of people who, who are able to just hold that, um, that super controlled tight lower abdomen. There very few people can hold that the entirety of when they're on stage. So un unless that's you, unless you are just a master and can be on stage for 20 minutes and just keep it really controlled, you probably would benefit from doing them. Yeah, it's with the waist trainers, it's not necessarily even training your waist. If anything, you're untraining your waist because all those postural muscles that you need and for actually just waist control. So like training the the transverse abdominal muscle, like it, it runs horizontally around the torso. So when you contract it, it does pull the pull the waist in. Yeah, that's how like in um uh, you know, two thousand uh uh, 18 when I like really changed my waist like it was dramatic and it was vacuums like I was just able to like control my waist more like how do you shrink your waist it's like I think I was just able to like control it more and that changed the appearance and shape of it but you know when I'm still in the off season like it still is going to come out you know and ha not have as much control like we see bigger bodybuilders and people give them shit like oh their belly's rounded out like they're you know it's 
it, it, I don't still see it as a shrinking the waist, but continuing to keep control. I think a lot of these guys just lose control over time, never training that muscle. So uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely like, if you're going to change your waist on stage, like that would be the way to do it. And then I also was at um, North Americans when Renee competed in 2020 and I saw, I'm, no judgment, but I'm pretty sure they're men's physique guys because I don't know. That's what I'm going to put on them. And they had they were wearing their t-shirts and they had their waist trainers on top of their t-shirts. And right when I saw that, exactly. If you see Joseph's face right now, that's exactly it. I was like, no, like <laughs> hell no, like I, it's unacceptable. <laughs> so it's like can never wear one just because of that fact. So um, yeah. anyway, humor about it. I will say one thing, it, it can keep you mindful of that, especially like fair enough. Yeah. Like it can keep you like I, I had a prep that I wore one and it 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 just made me mindful to basically I just sat in an office out all day and contracted my abs, like held my abs firm against it the whole time. And it worked. Now, if I would have just wrapped my waist up and just sat there and not been mindful of it it doesn't it's not going to do anything um fair enough yeah and then i think i think food too like food and digestion is just such a, a huge part of it like if if your digestion is poor or even if your digestion's in a decent spot like we're you know with with a lot of bigger bodybuilders like it's kind of inevitable like if you're just putting on a, a, a or putting in a ton of food you have to be mindful of it. Like I, I think of examples that I have some guys that are eating 5,000 calories. Like if your waist and is just uncontrolled and just loose all day, and it's just expanding all day, every day, as you fill it with food and water, like, yeah, it's going to be tough to, to rope that back in. Even when you're, even if you're peeled skinned out, it's going to be tough to, to, to reel that back in. So I think, you know, it's like anything else, especially in this industry. People want a quick fix that requires mindless, uh, you know, no effort, no work. It's like, no, like this could be a tool if you're mindful of it and there's there's effort behind it. But if you just wrap your midsection up, it's not going to do anything. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Um, this is, I promise I'm not going to go on a tangent here, but John, <laughs> you were at that freediving course and oh yeah, one of the, yeah. So we, um, I, the thing I struggled most with was the belly breathing. And it was because like the instructor, he's like, show me like how I'm like, no, I do vacuums. Like I, I got this. And he's like, no, like you need to breathe with your stomach. And like, I, I really do think like from the years, it's, it's not been like 10 years. It's been like legit maybe a year and a half of consistently like holding vacuums and really it's a lot of rib expansion, but it's really just for my own mind muscle connection to control my TVA. I had so much, uh, I, I could not do what this guy was asking me to do. I was like, I, I mentally, I'm trying to unlearn years of like <laughs> learning vacuums. And I'm like trying to explain it to him. Like, I don't think you get this. Like I've been doing like 10, 20 rounds, like daily consistently. Like I can do like 10 minutes of them. And he's like, no, you see, you need to do the opposite. I'm like, literally won't be able to. It's impossible in a, in an afternoon. Um, but yeah, definitely do do your vacuums. They, they will pay off. Just so everybody caught, like Corey said, free dive, which is crazy. 
jump in as good swim down as deep as you can without no like no tank or anything and then try to make it back up so nutty right <laughs> i don't fuck with the water period so that just is that sounds like another universe to me <laughs> yeah no so i'll um i think we uh i think we hit waste trainers pretty hard so that eliminates like 20% of the questions. Um, but <laughs> yeah, we might've just put a handful of businesses out of, out of commission, but that's all right. I'm going to get some emails after this. I know. Yeah. Well, there yeah. was you guys, which one, which ones did y'all want to hit next? Yeah, I'll, I have it on my mind. So I, I like this one. It's like, will exogenous estrogen and progesterone inhibit my growth? Um, I know you came across this question, Corey. Was there any other context to it or just in general? She was referring to birth control. Um, okay. And she didn't specify which one. Um, however, I know we had um, one of my clients. This was a reference that I had asked you, I think, I think last month. We had, we had gone pretty deep into this and you uncovered some really, really good information around it. Okay. Yeah. Um, the, the research, at least around birth control is, is tough because a lot of the like larger studies with hormonal birth control gets lumped into one. And so they don't separate it out by whether, um, it was, there's like four different types of generations of progestins and each one has a different level of, uh, Andronicity that presents, but then there's also ethanyl estradiol, the estrogen component. So you have these two components, but the one can have like four different kinds. Then there's also different delivery systems um, and different uh, phases that they'll have. So they'll have like one monophasic, it stays the same all month, right? The same amount of hormones. They'll have one that's biphasic that has like a bump uh, trying to mimic how the normal hormone changes are from menstrual cycle. You'll have like triphasic, there's quadphasic. Then it has even delivery system differences, right? So it could be um, oral or there's like the depo provera shots. Um, then you have the uh, intravaginal you know, um, device as well. So it's like, and a lot of those just get lumped together in the studies. So, but individually they all can work different. So it's, it's tough when you're looking at some of the research around it and could get a bit convoluted, but and I have to just say like in general for hormonal birth control, you are putting in an exogenous hormone. So it's actually very similar to if you're using like an anabolic steroid, like it, this is really for a lot of females, your first exposure to exogenous hormones. And just like you're, you've already taken a steroid in a sense. And so they, they have like some crossover effects when you're looking at mechanisms of suppressing the HPO axis. So the hypopituitary ovarian axis. So you're, you're simply trying to castrate someone from producing their own hormones so they don't go through their normal menstrual cycle and, and ovulate. So they don't get pregnant basically. Um, now, with suppressing your own production of hormones by taking birth control, it also suppresses testosterone. And that is the main problematic component 
for the physique competitor and around it can would cause more issues with with muscle mass accrual the body fat issue isn't quite as clear because there's some research showing like birth control doesn't affect it at all then depending on the type of birth control it can really affect it and make make it more challenging some women gain a bunch of weight some people don't gain any weight so it's kind of all over the board depending on the type and how that person responds which i know that isn't very clear in because it's it's not very clear but i would say the, the that what is a bit more um direct is the effects on testosterone being low and that being impactful for building muscle and also, you see those those oral uh, birth control, an increase in sex hormone binding globulins, so you have less free testosterone. You also have an increase in thyroid binding globulin, so you have less free thyroid action. So it's not really in favor at all for metabolic or muscle building effects for females using using birth control. Now, with with that being said. Um, I know they, I just asked about exogenous estrogen and progesterone. We deal a lot with females going in through hypothalamic amenorrhea. It's super common in the females that we coach where you go on prep and stress the, the rigors of prep, low body fat, um, causes hormones to shut down as well and low estrogen, low progesterone, very similar to even like having a menopausal female, low estrogen, low progesterone. And there's a lot of long-term health issues around it because I have, I've had females that they don't have a menstrual cycle for years competing um, because they're just need to stay low body fat and they just keep competing. And the, uh, the, the issue for one is long-term health consequences around low estrogen. And this is the same, like uh, it could be for, for men as well um, because estrogen is just a, uh, such a protective hormone for one brain. So it could be increased risk for dementia, uh, cardiovascular disease for, for females. Uh, bone density is huge. And those years where you have those ovulatory menstrual cycles and high estradiol is where you really lay down good bone density. So you don't, you totally miss out on these years, which could be problematic for um, osteoporosis later in life. And then there's issues uh, more acutely like around like libido function, uh, mood. And then we even talk about the muscle aspects. So with having low estrogen and low progesterone, think about in contest prep, when your hormones are low, your ability to build muscle is garbage. <laughs> like it's not a state to build muscle. So if you think about low hormones are not conducive to building muscle, not that conducive to body fat gain, yeah, eat, um, eat, either, you know, so um, really like the use of exogenous estradiol and progesterone could very well be justified in those females that are going low hormones in those states to preserve that beneficial hormonal environment. And there was a, a cool study done with, and I'll say the studies on this stuff is hard to come by. You're not going to find like Contest prep females, hypothalamic, hypothalamic amenorrhea, getting hormone re replacement because the normal approach is just reverse the stress. You know, if it's they're exercising too much, get them to exercise less, feed them more, and it, it will reverse. 
but we're in situations where we have females that are like going right back through the rigors of prep and it, it makes sense to almost keep a baseline of hormones present. And we look at it for like a muscle building perspective. There's the studies in menopausal women, because it kind of translates well, that it's females that are going to be in, in low hormone state. And, and in the study, they took 80 females and they gave them, you know, this was oral estradiol and progesterone and they separate them out. They had an exercise group, an HRT group, exercise plus HRT, or just control. And they were looking at, and they trained them. This was over 12 weeks. And they looked at changes in the cross-sectional area of the thigh. And also they looked at body composition too for fat changes. The exercise plus HRT group had the largest increase in cross-sectional area of the thigh. Um, it was like the... The exercise group, I think it was around 6% change. The, the HRT plus exercise was, um, nope, I, I take that back. Exercise was 2%. HRT was 6%. And the exercise plus HRT was 7%. So even HRT had a more effect than even, even the exercise alone. Um, body fat increase was only in the control group. So exercise group, HRT group, and exercise plus HRT had no body fat gain. So we're looking at estradiol supplementation in a, in a group of females that had really low, and it was showed improvements in muscle mass accrual and preventing body fat gain. That's huge. Like this is this is clearly a beneficial anabolic hormone um, to have proper estradiol levels present. So in certain situations for females, like if you're getting into prep and, and these levels are coming down, it makes a lot of sense that we want to optimize your natural hormone environment to, to ride that out for prep. I think you'll have better outcomes. And I've, I've, I've used this in females that I've coached and by no means, I know estrogen usually gets blamed as like the body fat gainer, the negative hormone. And, and by no means, like these girls get, get peeled and they feel the best that they have on prep. When your estrogen get low, like everything, like your your hair gets worse, your skin, um, joints. So like it helps for one, like just a lot of those aspects, but also like the the uh, muscle building effects, retentive effects, and I think it will aid body fat loss as well. Absolutely, no, I think um, I think you covered just every aspect of that. Which I know. Like, I, <laughs> Sorry, I that was like super long winded <laughs> about it. But um, so yeah, it's kind of like depends on which exogenous hormone are using and, and they, you know, they, they, you kind of weigh out, because there is studies looking at giving birth control to females that have hypothalamic amenorrhea. And like, what's, what's the worst situation, like having a low hormone environment or having a synthetic exogenous hormone and even ethanol estradiol, the synthetic, it, it would help preserve bone mass, but still like that wouldn't be the, the ideal route to do like with oral birth control or just oral estrogen in general, there is a lower conversion of GH to IGF one, which is what you want for also laying down good bone mass but hell, for a physique athlete, that's what you want too for uh, muscle mass and for um, body fat. So, uh, having like a, a more of a transdermal estradiol would be more ideal. Um, that way, you prevent that first pass from the liver. But 
that uh I know that was a lot around the topic. It's just an area that's not spoken on much and there's not a lot of information around too because it, it is really convoluted. So you don't have a lot of people that dive in and even if you dive in the literature again it's very mixed so you just have to rely on a bit of what you can pull from the literature and also just coaching application for you work with females so that's uh where you have to draw a lot of these conclusions it's a lot of a lot of the area that we work in too right it's um it's not clear in research and it has to be a lot of observational experience where we apply what what we uh, what we learn. Absolutely, and I, I I think listeners will appreciate how you delivered that because it does answer a question that I, I get constantly um, and that I see is is not well answered across the space. And um, you know, having some form of birth control um, is definitely a concern for a lot of women who are competing, um, even if they do want to have kids later on in life, even if they already have kids. And I think just having information around, Hey, like, how do I actually weigh this out and weigh out the benefits and the risk of having, um, using a birth control pill, um, versus having maybe a non hormonal form of, um, of protection. Um, I, I can say for myself, having stable levels of test, I think has done the most most for me in bodybuilding like it would really really i think shock people what they can do from a hypertrophy standpoint just having stable levels and i mean at this point i've been on trt for almost a year and the most growth happened when i was not in prep and when i was consistently in a, a, a normal to high range and i think that's where a lot of people do shoot themselves in the foot because they're focused on well i, I need to bring my estrogen down that's what's holding up um, my ability to build or it's holding up my prep it's you know estrogen estradiol is the is that hormone that that's the issue and in reality it's like well, hey have you have you looked at your test like have you have you even considered how low or non-existent test is affecting your bodybuilding because i mean you're going in and out of prep and we see this constantly where women do want to actively compete and they approach it like hey you know i'll just i'll take care of my hormones in that six month period in between preps and it's like yeah but you're gonna prep in six months from now you're gonna be in the exact same place and i mean really how, how much work can we do in that off season it's not really conducive for that individual's goals. So I think being able to offer advice that really lays out like, hey, you're, here's your long-term aspirations. Here is a consistent problem that will impede progress on, mm -hmm. on both ends. So what's the what's the appropriate action? Um, yeah, I think, um, I think listeners will really like that. Yeah, it's tough to sometimes get people on, on board with that message, especially with, you know, testosterone, but it, it definitely is very much impacted in, in just dieting, but even a lot of females using hormonal birth control and seeing that suppress like less than that, like 20 nanogram per deciliter mark. I mean, think about it, if you bring up a female just to even mid norm levels, like that's three, four times the level she was at that can be substantial for a female to make improvements in the way that you, that you feel. 
and e- even around you know estrogen too because there's a fear around that too um and it, uh, you know we were just had a so, someone asking about um fat around the hips and thighs and that that's it's estrogen related right and i i had to dive dig in a little deeper on that because estrogen in general it increases lipolysis and in fat cells but around this like more thigh uh fat hip area there's actually a desensitization to estrogen on the fat cell so it's actually not estrogen that's causing the issue it's more of like there's a inflammatory state that's that's present or could be more around even insulin resistance that's uh, preventing estradiol from taking its action to cause lipolysis around those areas so um, if you have females that have this you know greater deposition of body fat in that area it's it's not estrogen to to attack it's what's causing more of the issues around estrogen uh, desensitization. So that's a whole other rabbit hole. But but point being here is that um, not to fear these things and just to educate yourself because they are both routes to bring about more progress for your physique. Yeah, absolutely. Um Joseph, and next question. That was a that was a masterclass, guys. Jeez, that was deep. Really I was good. I was like in it, and I was like, man, I don't know how to stop. Just go. Yeah. You get this look in your eye where you're just yeah. like you're in the zone. Yeah, <laughs> it's been on my mind. Uh, so yeah, no, and it's it's super valuable. I mean, like you said, there's not good reliable information. Like the people, there's not many people even taking the time to dive into this. So. um super valuable but um moving on yeah um yeah one of the things that i that we get asked i get asked and i wanted to talk about um so i don't help many females but all the females that i do help want to be wellness every everybody loves wellness now um and so with with that there's very specific goals outlined with with the physique that that you're looking for like they want dominant legs they want the legs to be the centerpiece of of everything that you're going to display and almost like an underdeveloped uh upper body like that comparatively so um you know when programming for somebody with goals like this you have to really be specific with how you're programming so a lot of the wellness people wellness ladies that i help um if their recovery capacity allows for it we're going to train legs three days a week Um, and then depending on where they are with, and again, it's context dependent. So if someone already has dominant legs, it, maybe there's more room to be about, to have a balanced split, but, um, you know, let's just say the average person kind of a a blank canvas comes to me and they want to transform into wellness. We need to hammer your legs. Um, and, you know, we talk about this all the time, like having having a recovery budget where, you know, you can only allot so much of that recovery budget to, to each day of the week. And so, you know, no question, if you're training with adequate volume and intensity, one leg day is going to be where you spend more of that recovery budget than anywhere else. Now you're talking about doing it three times in a week. Well, then you really need to scale back everything else 
Um, you know, because if, if let's say you have, you know, a hundred units or a hundred dollars of a recovery budget and each one of your leg days is 30 of those dollars, like you don't have much left to play with if you're going to do this three times. So, um, a lot of times, you know, again, it is, it is individually dependent, but you program those three leg days. I would, a lot of times I'm only having like one upper body day where there's just a little bit of everything up top sprinkled in because that's really all you can recover from. If you try to put somebody on three full leg days and then have them go in and do a full pull day and then go in and do a full push day, a lot of times they're just going to be buried and they're not going to recover. So you're kind of going to defeat the purpose. So, um, and, and we'll get to how this can be correlated to, to everybody, male, female, regardless of what division you're in. Um, but I think that should be the thought process where it's like, whatever the main priority is for the desired physique, that's where you need to put a lot of your time and attention, the volume, all these different things need to be programmed towards that. And then if it means scaling back on other, on other body parts, well then so be it. Um, and then even, even with male competitors, you know, for in, in a, in a good example, like I have a couple of guys that are originally came to me as men's physique competitors and they want to grow into classic or they want to, you know, continue to grow and hopefully get into bodybuilding. And it's like, okay, well then we need to hammer your legs. Now, those male divisions that I mentioned are not so heavily favored in terms of lower body dominance. So it doesn't, the split and the programming doesn't need to be as heavily in favor of training legs. I'm not going to put somebody that wants to be a classic physique competitor on three leg days and then only one upper body day where everything gets two sets and then you move on. That just doesn't make sense. Um, but programming, the, the big takeaway is just programming for the priority. Like, and, you know, we've talked about it even whether it's with legs or whether it's a, a different body part, but with legs specifically, they, it costs so much, so to speak, that you really have to set up your entire week around recovering from those leg days. Because if we're talking training, training legs three out of seven days, that that next leg day is going to hit you like a ton of bricks and it's coming soon. Like there's, you can only have maybe one or two days in between you need to needing to train legs again. So um, that's where working hand in hand with a coach and really being um, honest and communicating with a coach about your lifestyle and your habits and your sleep, all these different things. Um, the whole the whole big picture needs to revolve around recovering and coming back from those leg days so a lot of times you know if you can it's like you you work with the client to figure out when their days off from work are or um, when their days off from school are or when they have days that they can just kind of hang out like you know for the average person that works a nine to five job monday through friday it probably makes sense to have one of those big leg days on Saturday, but then have a complete day off on Sunday so that you can kind of recharge and get ready for the entire week. Um, so I think it just takes some digging as a coach and some communication, both from the coach and the client to really figure out how the priority and, and what needs to be trained most fits into their life and the whole big picture. So, um, 
like I was saying, there's definitely some takeaways there that's not just female specific. Like if you are trying to grow from men's physique to classic, it probably makes sense to train your legs twice a week. And then, so where else do you dial back? You try to find then on that person and on that person's physique, you try to identify their best body part, their biggest strength. And that's inevitably going to be where it makes sense to pull from. So, um, you know, if it happens to be somebody's back, well, that's a day that, that costs a lot of your recovery budget as well. So you can dial that back and then it leaves you some spare change, so to speak, to, to fill in for those, for those leg days. So, um, I could talk about this. I feel like I could talk about programming and just the different scenarios, like for, for hours on end, but I'll, I'll let you guys, uh, chime in. Yeah. Um, coach John, nobody, nobody better to talk about it than, than you with the way that you've programmed Renee's training. I was like, I'm terrible for leg training. Cause like, that's like my, my strong suit. But I know yeah. for uh, for Renee, all I do is smash her on legs, um, <laughs> which uh, I had a question in the forum that came up. It's it's on this, the very similar topic for yeah. there was a, a someone brand new, brand new to training and wants to compete in wellness. And they're yeah. asking, would you still go with a full body setup? Or how would you modify that around them, their aspirations for wellness? So they they have a a division need that they have to meet, but there's also has a baseline of, of no you know, no way to assess the response yet either. Um, anyone have have thoughts around that? I I do yes. So. With female athletes, I think a lot of the times when you're starting out as a beginner, um, first off, I'm not going to ever discourage someone from doing wellness, even if they don't have the muscularity. If Hey, if you're starting out, you want to do wellness because that's where your heart is, cool. I'll be your biggest cheerleader. I will see that out for you. But there is a conversation that's going to happen at the beginning that's like, hey, I think you would be better suited for bikini because frankly... No one's showing up as a beginner with that muscularity, with those needs. They're they're just not. And it's okay that you might have outside external um, validation that says, hey, like this is the division for you. But when we're talking about programming, I think the specificity needs to be appropriate for the individual's experience and training history. So if someone is brand new out the gates, you know, we, we do need to have a balanced split. Um, and if, if they're dead set on, Hey, I want to want to do wellness. Okay. Well, yeah, we'll throw some extra volume there, but the split is not going to look like Renee's or any mm, other right. top pro. I mean, it just, it's not appropriate. And at the same time too, dedicating that kind of volume, to someone before they're really ready for it or need it, you then run the risk of having so much of a gap between body parts um, that I think is important to have um, when building that foundation when you're you're, you're just starting out. Um, a lot of times with beginners, I think the specificity, it needs to be pretty low um, and, and people don't like that. People don't like hearing, Hey, I don't get a, a highly specialized program for me. And it's like, no, it's, there are things that work. There are things, there's <laughs> a lot of overlap, but like, you don't need 
to not train X, Y, and Z uh, the way a top athlete is going to, or an athlete who's been training 20 years. So I think when it, when it comes to volume allocation, um, for one, if the foundation isn't there, that's where we start. And the way you build the foundation is, is pretty universal. Um, and, and that's one of those hard conversations you have with the client. Hey, I want to, but I want to train legs three days a week. And I want to have, I want to have all the glute volume and I don't want to do five <laughs> yeah. body parts. Hey, if you stick with it and you get to the point where you don't need that, if you're committed to training for the purpose of competing, well then, yeah, you'll, you'll get to that point where it will be more specialized, but for the time being, the foundation needs to be built. And it kind of goes to what you've always said, John, with, um, with goal setting, that you really need to ask yourself, Hey, everything in your program is, is it oriented around that number one goal? You can't have five number one goals. So you gotta, you gotta pick that one you want to focus on and it's okay if it changes, but everything should complement that. It should be conducive for seeing that goal out. Um, and that might mean not having this highly specialized program that is specific, like in, in the way that you're thinking it should be. Yeah. You don't want to be an advanced lifter when you're week one of your program because advanced lifters don't grow fast. That right. sucks. So, they don't grow fast and it takes them a ton to squeak out 1% yeah. progress. Yeah. So it's like, put, give them, give them as little as it might take. You don't know. And in that scenario where it's somebody that's brand new, you don't know, you might, you might have awesome genetic response for legs and you might grow on six working sets across the week. So it's like, why am I going to go in and do 30? Because then where do you go from there? If you go in and do 30 and you make some, you're going to make some awesome progress, no doubt. But then what? You're going to do 40? You're going to do 50 cents? Like, what are we talking about? So it's like, I think that's one thing you've always talked about too, John. It's like minimum effective dose for everything, whether it's food, drugs, training volume. Like, why would I put you on 15 sets if five might grow your legs right now? Yeah, you, you want to work 20 hours a week and make a thousand bucks or 40 hours right. a week and make a thousand bucks. Right. Like we can only grow so fast. Like you're just trying to work harder for, for the same result that's going to bury you too, right? So um, yeah, I, I agree. Like as a beginner, it takes just a little stimulus to get a growth response. So it won't take a lot per session and you can do high frequency and also you don't know the response to that person yet, like you said, Joseph. So um, I think the full body split still makes sense for any anyone across division until you can see that response. I do think you can take that full body split though and through exercise choices in order, maybe put a little emphasis for the person, especially sure. psychologically if they you know catered well within that. But even for bikini wellness, you need some degree of upper body development. So, um, you know, I think you could have maybe two full body sessions that started with legs, ended with upper, maybe have one that starts with upper and ends with lower. And now you technically could get that client, hey, you're on a lower body specialization, right? To have the, yeah. the, the, the selling point there um that it is specialized for them and hey you're gonna grow so easy right now let's take advantage of these full body workouts so um it's just framing it 
Right. But uh, yeah, I think like, like y'all said, it's uh, get the most from the least and you don't need to get highly specialized just yet. Follow up for you, for you, Joseph, because you brought up once, once it is needed to allocate some volume from other parts to lower body, have you found a better way of like dispersing that throughout the week of like, is it three leg days, quad ham glute across? Is it better to have quad one, ham one, or what? What's the what seems more ideal? Yeah, it, ah, man, you knew like this was gonna just send me down a rabbit hole. You're like, let me just feed this to him, and then he's gonna go off on it. But I think it is just person dependent again, and and. So it's like we we slap this label on it like legs, but it's like, man, it's is it quads? Is it hamstrings? Is it glutes? So I think it depends too within that individual person. Like there are some girls that have killer quads, but then they have almost no hamstring and glute. So there might be in that scenario, there might be a little bit of all of it sprinkled in, but maybe one day where she's going to do the, the majority of her quad volume, but then two of those days are like almost exclusively hamstring and glutes, um, you know, or a, one specific example of a, a girl that I'm helping right now, just as a personal goal, she wants to have a muscular looking back. Like she wants to, you know, wear open dresses in the back and, and all these different things, but she wants to be wellness. So it's like for that girl, there's a day where she does kind of a modified pull day, pull day, that includes some of these uh, movements that there's overlap from the back to the glutes to the hamstrings. So um, I think it just depends based on the person and what their goals are. Um, what have I seen best? Ah, depends. Um, yeah. I mean, that's, that's kind of the broad thought process on it. I think being able to spread it out over three because you're going to get into volumes where if you're only doing two of those days and you're, you're smashing in all this volume on two days, that's going to be a lot of fatigue to come back from. And then I also worry about the quality of the work near the end of those sessions. Whereas if you split them across three, um, you know, let's just throw some arbitrary numbers at it. Like if you were to do, uh, let's just say, 12 working sets for legs total and it's like i would probably rather split that across three to where there's four working sets across three because all four of those sets all three days are going to be of a much higher quality than doing 12 on one day or even six two days six two days isn't terrible in that example um but I, I have seen even with other body parts and not just female specific, but it does seem like, and I, I don't know uh, that there's much research to back this, especially within our demographic, but it does seem like frequency, the more often that you can do it, as long as you can recover from it, I tend to lean towards that. Yeah, I think on that on that note, like volume equated, like you look at those studies, like training frequency, it doesn't make much difference, but, but 
the increased frequency is allowing more volume to occur. So if you had it like, right. hey, we want to max out volume for you guys. Like, let's see how far we can push it. The one day a week person's going to get buried. Um, yeah. And the other the other bay on like multi-frequency is going to be able to carry that out more efficiently. So that's, that's you're, you're right. Like that is the benefit of the frequency. What, what I've come across, like, it's not been programmed this like, out the gate with wellness you're like how do you make a wellness that's when it all came out what do you even do for wellness like for renee um how do you train glutes every day but is that there especially renee because she's she's pretty well developed up top too so it was like an interesting challenge there uh there's a lot of axial loading with the movements that would build glutes like you almost have to load something on the back and get the hips far from that line of force RDLs, glute bridges, back squats, split squats, like they're all load the spine a lot, which create a lot of systemic fatigue. So what I found like with that training frequency is trying to have one day where there's no axial loading, but we could still like train hams, quads, glutes. Um, So that might be like looking like, hey, see the leg curl, leg press. Extensions. Yeah, yeah, stuff like that. Um, um, more like abduction work, or it's something really low taxing, like that's where we do like cable kickback day. Um, right. So you have one day that's just not so systemically bearing for someone. Then we could like spread out the the other days that have more loading across. And, and I mean, Corey, we probably ask you because this is this is what you do. We just yeah. we don't even do it. We're just making all this, all this shit up. Yeah, we're just making it up. <laughs> are doing great i need to take notes um no i completely agree and i think it's um i think having an abc like leg split that's that's what i've run i mean john i started that when i hired you for training like training coaching and i've been on that split since then so i mean like again we're going over a year now and like the growth I've seen on that amount of volume um, with a very similar, like I've, I've modified things as I've needed mm-hmm. to, but it, um, I really, really like the delegation day to day where one day is, is slightly more quad focused. One day is hamstring and then the other it's, it's glutes, but it's more of a, I don't even want to call it a back off day because that term will get convoluted into something else. It's still 20 20 sets for the day. I mean, it's hard, but, yeah. uh, systemically, um, not having, not having, uh, your lower back under that kind of strain. Um, I think it really does set me up going into the next week because I have that leg C and typically, um, that upper day that's following leg C. Cause I do split my upper, um, into in between my legs B and C. And then after my leg C, that upper day is light as well. So I, in a way, have two recovery days before I hit legs A. Um, legs A is the most taxing system. Legs A sounds like the gauntlet. Yeah. <laughs> um, but legs B is where I do RDLs. So it's like, okay. I, mm-hmm. I like having that kind of breakdown um, because it, it really does allow me to get the most out of a week. But that's how I like to look at it out of a week. And, um, I mean, a lot of my focus is around glutes, not so much legs, um, but 
you you really don't want to push past what's necessary because again it's like you don't get extra credit for just doing extra sets like there's a point right. where you're actually hindering your progress so um yeah both of you guys y'all y'all nailed that and i mean like i hope i know listeners will like um that kind of breakdown around movement selection glad to get the the seal of approval there that's nice <laughs> well, right on i think uh we're coming up right past the hour so we had some good, great questions and and nailed them so we can wrap it up there i, I appreciate you all for coming on absolutely thanks yeah. for the opportunity right. always always nice speaking with both of you i know we tried to have this one be a little bit more female specific because what is coming out December 13th will be the female module. Um, and that will be really excited about it. It's been a long time coming, but it'll be very comprehensive. I think the most comprehensive education coaching course that's out there for females from taking you through like understanding all these hormone i didn't want to call them crazy hormones but it is crazy like how much you have to know about all these fluctuations to then understand like the disruptions that happen and what that means for you know muscle mass physique and getting to stage what do you do about it? How do you read the labs for all this? And then implementing even PDs around all, all the hormones, derangement that incur and putting that into a structured off-season prep and how do you peak females? So Luke and I have done a lot of work on it and it's going to be phenomenal. So really excited to get everybody um, to check it out. But anyway, everybody have a good night and we'll talk to you next time.